0: Hey, everybody, this is the Variety and iHeart Podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today's guest is Nicole Kidman. The Oscar winner is talking about her work in the HBO hit The Undoing, what it was like filming a movie and another television series during the pandemic, and how she got cast as Lucille Ball in Aaron Sorkin's upcoming Being the Ricardos. Plus, find out how she's working to open doors for young female filmmakers. I'll have all that and more with Nicole Kidman coming up after the break. Stick around. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Despite the pandemic, Nicole Kidman has had a very busy year. Not only did she star in HBO's The Undoing, but she also filmed the epic Viking drama The Northman, Robert Eggers' follow-up to The Lighthouse, and Nine Perfect Strangers, a limited series written by her now-frequent collaborator David E. Kelley. In The Undoing, she plays Grace, an Upper East Side therapist whose life unravels when her husband, played by Hugh Grant, is accused and tried for a gruesome murder. Written by Kelly and directed by Susanna Beer, Variety's review of The Undoing praised Kidman for owning the role of Grace with an irresistible force. I talked to Kidman over Zoom from her home in Australia.
1: It is so hot here. It's like, it's unbelievable heat. 100 degrees.
0: It's been so cold in LA, it was like I've had the heat on. It's been weirdly very cold.
1: Different universes. So how are you? Yeah, good, good, good. Hanging in there, how about you? You're in the worst place of anywhere right now besides the UK, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm not leaving the apartment till I get vaccinated. And who knows when that's gonna be because they have screwed it up so badly. So badly. But you guys, you were at the Sydney Sydney Opera House the other night. That's incredible. Yes.
1: It's the only opera that's on in the whole world, which is why I wanted to say we were there and just celebrating it. And because, you know, obviously all of those people have just been hit so hard. So, yeah. And to take my mom and the joy that it gave her and you just go, oh, okay, this is what the arts do. There was just so many people there, especially elderly people that were just out for the first time in I don't know how long. So it was just really Did they, special they and it. good on them, right, for, for getting it going and doing it and... Well, it when was only it- uh, 50% capacity. That's but- what I was going
0: to say, yeah. What did it feel like walking into the opera house? Because this is, I mean, you've been working, but still this is.
1: Yeah, not a bit, not being able to go and see any performances, not being no. able to support the arts in that way. It was gorgeous. I mean, right. that's why um, taking my mom and Keith and I took my mom, who's 80, oh. and she hadn't been out to anything, Um in you know, well over a year, so it was just, and the and the power of being in that auditorium, listening to these opera singers, and the joy that was in the room. It's the power of the arts and what that and the love that that spreads. Yeah, I've been and how before. important it is. Oh, I've been you know, before. not underestimating what that does. Right. Not just for the performers being able to work, but for the audiences that go that love it
0: yeah i've been talking to a lot of one. a lot of the creatives on broadway and i keep asking everyone imagine the first night back mm. the first night that they're allowed to open theaters what that is going to be like
1: mm. yeah
0: the emotion is is
1: yeah i don't know when that's going to be though i'm hopeful i'm hopeful I can't wait to be sitting in a theater on Broadway again. Me
0: too. Right?
1: Yes. I can't wait to be on a stage um, (laughs) anywhere (laughs) and performing, but I really love being an audience member.
0: What has it felt like to be working during all of this? Obviously, you work, you have, you know, it's these bubbles, but is it surreal knowing what else is going on out there?
1: It starts off where you're... um, kind of going how do we do this and you can't t- you can't rehearse but it's amazing how we change so quickly mm. and we adjust and um having done um w- I went to Belfast and worked there and then we did a show here um obviously here it was different because we went on lockdown but in Belfast they were on lockdown so it was it was just a very different experience but we st- it's just Extraordinary the way actors, directors, crew members all adjust because they mm. want to and have to, and the work then be just you you find out how to do it. You work mm. out a rhythm, and before you know it, you're going okay. Is this okay? And now we can take our masks off and we can work. And and the creative process is the same.
2: You're mm. just
1: mm. having to have a few different parameters, boundaries and precautions. But the, um, the experience of it is probably because of the contrast of having it taken so violently from us is, oh, incredibly grateful. And I think that's what, when we were doing Nine Perfect Strangers here and we had, you know, um, really great, great actors and a fantastic crew, but the overall essence of it was, we're so grateful to be working. We cannot believe that we're actually doing this. So there's an enormous appreciation, which I think everybody has now appreciation for just being able to um, do what we do, because it has it's been taken from us. Right.
0: Let's get back to the undoing. We've talked about it a lot, I know. But when you read a script for something like the Undoing, do you know right away you could be Grace, or how do how do you? Or, or does it have to, is there a conversation with Susanna or David E. Kelly that says, okay, I could see it now?
1: Having it handed to me where he gave me the, the first episode and I went and I was, so I read it as her,
2: mm-hmm. if
1: that makes sense. I, I mean, there's so many times as an actor when you don't have the role and you read it and you're like, oh, I don't even want to engage in this because... I may not get it, I may not be able to play it. And if I get attached, it's gonna really hurt. It's like a lover who you fall in love with and and they reject you before you even get it. So you have that weird relationship when you're reading it and it's not yours, but it was a beautiful thing where David had said, I have this, Um, would you be interested? And that was like pretty special. Then to sit with Susanna Beer and go, what do you see? How do you see this working? And how do you see the character and actually, her um, stamp on it and her moulding of it was, was really part of the shaping of how, who I, how I was going to play it and mm-hmm. who I was going to be. Um, but, yeah, a lot, of, but the, a lot of the way in which I connect is, you know, I connect emotionally and through a character. And so I immediately felt um, a part of her mm-hmm. or her a part of me. And I don't know if that's because David had kind of thought of me when he was writing it or how that works, the the weird magic of mm-hmm. of our industry, but I felt her. So it it was not a far reach. But you know, there's been times when I've read scripts and I've gone, oh, oh, what I wouldn't give to play this role. And I knew I would never even get to to play it because it was, you know, I wasn't right or I'm not the right age or I don't look the I look the way you're meant to look or it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I'll still read it and um, and be like, oh, this is in a in weirdest way I've actually kind of played it because I've now read it and absorbed it. And I have that with plays a lot. Mm-hmm. I will read a play, know that I'm never going to have the time to do it but I can read it and almost live it and be it. And that has to be, as I always say now, time is the thing we don't have, I don't have so much of. So um, that's going to have to be enough sometimes, reading it and doing it in my head or doing it in the bedroom. Right. Um, I never got to play Nina in The Seagull. It was one of my biggest desires to any of the young actresses out there. If you have the chance to play her, play her. So, you know, but I played her in my head and I definitely played her in my bedroom. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Because you've said you've... That's as
1: you buy. There's times when we all have it. So there is something to be said for just as an actor being able to go, okay, well, I've kind of done it in my own little bubble.
0: Because you've said that for the hours you didn't want to play. No. You wanted Julianne Moore's part. So how does... How no, do you- I,
1: I thought I was suited to that role. Oh. I'm not always the best judge of what I'm suited to or um, a lot of times it's the way a director sees you and, and knows what you can do and mm-hmm. then um, interprets you and and what you have inside you and mm-hmm. it's then paused, passed through the portal of the director. So with, with Stephen, I was like... I have no idea how you think I can play Virginia. And he was like, there's no other character you could play in this. And I'm like, what? So that was kind of great. And I remember going for the makeup and wardrobe test and the brilliant Anne Roth was there and she gave me a pair of shoes and an, and a dress. And and then suddenly I was walking and I was pacing and I was smoking and and I was... Virginia, it was almost like she just came and took a hold of me. And then they were like, would you be open to a nose? And I was already in her. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. And it was sort of like, oh, okay. So a lot of performance is trust and trusting your leader or trusting your writer and your director. And once, and then contributing, but basically jumping off the cliff with them and for them
0: what was the most challenging part about grace
1: the interior you know the thoughts because a lot of it's like secrets grace Mm -hmm. has and grace has a silence and a way of behaving but it doesn't mean that she's not constantly thinking and evaluating and um assessing and that just just hoping that just the thoughts and the feelings inside would be enough. Mm-hmm. And I know that that should just be a given, but, you know, it's, it's difficult when you're carrying six hours of, of, a, of a show mm-hmm. with that and hoping that will be enough because a lot of the interrogation scenes, what I'm saying is not what I'm doing. I'm observing a lot. I'm taking in a lot. And I'm making decisions that you're not going to find out I made until much later, or I'm making a decision and changing my mind in the next scene. Mm. So I was always hoping that that map, that psychological map, would be accessible to an audience. I didn't know if it would or wouldn't. And, you know, there's an abandonment to that as well because Mm. a lot of that as an actor is going, well, that's really not not my job my job is the truth
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: and and really being precise and detailed in 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 the way in which i'm constructing the whole inner monologue of 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 everything so that it's in existence how much
0: um preparation for a character like grace do you try to figure out the complete backstory obviously we know some of her backstory but do you go sort of deep dive into like her father and her mother and
1: yes which some of it ends up some of the scenes end up the scene where we're playing where i'm playing the piano with donald that was actually um not set not set at a piano there was no mention of the mother um all of that was just the layers of of a backstory that was coming to fruition um that Donald and I shared and that therefore turned into a scene where we're sitting at a piano, but it reminds me of, um, my mother and mm-hmm. you know, all of that circulates, but that wasn't the scene. The scene I think was set on the couch talking and there was no mention of a mother. Um, so those things are really, you know, that's all your backstory, but you don't, or your history or your, your being what mm-hmm. I call, cause backstory seems almost like a, it's homework. It's more just the creating of the being, creating of the life.
0: So when you and Don...
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's arduous, (laughs) but it's also excavating.
0: But when you and Donald discuss that, then do you go to David? Do you go to Susanna? Who do you say, hey?
1: Susanna, and that comes out of a rehearsal. Or sometimes you've already worked out a language, um, and David, um, because there's an enormous amount of trust. Mm between David and I and between David and Susanna. And so it's, it's very simpatico where you're all working together and forming things together and running things by him and he's going, yes, and then, you know, it just, it, um, it becomes like Quicksilver in a way because yeah. it has to happen quickly because obviously, particularly in television, you don't have enormous amount of time. But that's what the also the spending time together and entering into each other's psyches does. Um,
2: yeah.
1: And it's very rapid a lot of the times now because, you know, you're always on, you know, so-and-so is available for this amount of time. So there's a, it happens rapidly. But I think if there's a desire from everybody, and you've got Donald Sutherland, I mean, the great Donald mm-hmm. Sutherland, so he's there. And, I mean, that, that man can act. You know, he just comes in and he's and his wealth of experience and knowledge and talent is in abundance. I was so happy to see that he got nominated because he having been opposite him watching him work, I'm like, oh, he's so good. He's so good. And it's wonderful to say and remembers every line, and I mean he's not young and he and he wouldn't mind me saying that um, <laughs> and he's so present and so cognizant and sharp, sharp as attack, so what a wonderful um, father to have <laughs>
0: what, what happens though when you're on a set you're, whether it's a TV show or a movie, and you don't have that trust with the director or the writer where Jackson. Don't be there.
1: <laughs> if you can avoid it, don't go don't go down that path. really? <laughs> oh, <what laughs> because at this stage, so much of the um, entrance into a project is based on that. Yeah. Um, and um, or put yourself, I mean, I think for me, I always try to go stay open. And I may get fearful and close down and think, oh my gosh, this isn't what, am I in a safe place? But I'll always, I always try to approach each day differently. So I come in. So if there's been something happen the day before, you go, come back in open, be open and willing and available because creatively, that is one of the greatest gifts to offer. Mm. You know, and we're all human beings. Nobody's perfect. Things are going to happen and you're going to wrestle with things and ideas and that's going to result in something spectacular here and maybe you'll, it won't work there, but it is a journey together. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way you approach a relationship. Show up, be in there, be willing, you know, be willing to love. I mean, it's that simple. So I think that openness of the heart artistically is a great place to stay. I'd yeah. rather go that route than get, you know, than close down because I can't work with that.
0: You obviously talk about these relationships and like, like they're almost love affa- they're like almost love affairs. What is it like when they're over? Well, they're,
1: they're creatively, um, they're creatively just beautiful things to experience with people. And then everyone goes about their own their own lives and off they go and they go back to their, um, to their world. But you do exist in, um, I mean, obviously now there's a bubble, but there is that wondrous creative bubble that you go into and exist with and you get to know people very deeply and intimately in a very mm-hmm. short period of time. But I think I've been doing this since I was 14, so I've learned to say goodbye. It's not my favourite thing to do. <laughs> um, I always say I have way too many goodbyes in my life. I much prefer Hello. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I. so my thing is more like I'll see you soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd rather have I see you soon than it be goodbye. And I always stay, I mean, I've worked with many directors again and again, I have actors that I've worked with and were, um, would love to work with again and again. So I love the, the coming back and,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and not abandoning something that you've forged together, actually utilizing that and taking it to the next level.
0: Do, do you go through any sort of, depression's a big word, but any sort of, you get out of the project and it's just the adrenaline drops, the serotonin drops, you're not in that. Do, do you,
1: you always go. Well, I'm never going to have this again. <laughs> oh, I'm never going to have this again. This is it. Um, that's that's the path of an actor. Is you know, mm-hmm. the the part is. Oh my gosh, I will. And you won't have that experience again. That right. is true. Do
2: you, Maybe you'll have something
1: better. <laughs> Maybe you'll have something worse. But okay. you won't have that again. So, so yeah, that. But hey, we're all. We're all going through that in every aspect of our lives, so.
0: so. So many actors talk about having the imposter syndrome. They're going to find me out. They're going to find me out. Did you ever go through that, and do you go through that?
1: Um, I don't know if it's the imposter syndrome, is whether I'm going to be good enough for this or whether I'm going to fulfil what someone thinks I'm capable of. It's more that that I... Um, and that that feeling of... <gasps> the first day nerves are still, like, up here.
2: Mm.
1: They they come in physically with fear and nausea and, like, going, oh, my gosh, and the night before and not sleeping and all of that. Um, so it's it's more that of am I going to be able to realise this beautiful piece of writing or am I going to be able to, you know, some somebody's taken a massive gamble on me. Um, and believed I can do this and I'm really hoping I can show up and and give them what they want or give them more than what they want, you know. So it's more that, that place of and not let other people down in a scene where they're watching you going, eeh. but that's a very, you know, that means you're stepping out of yourself anyway. So I think so much of it is just getting, I'm, I'm the actor that says, well, great, let's talk about it, but can we get it up? Can we do it? Because mm-hmm. doing it is a, it's great to just do it. You start mm-hmm. like, and a lot of us, I think, as actors go, oh, I don't want to get up on my feet now and do it because everyone's going to go, oh, gee, that was bad.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But so what? Okay, so you were bad. Now maybe you'll be good in the next next attempt at it or maybe you'll get a piece of direction that shifts it or maybe suddenly both of you will. It's amazing how something can be so bad Mm-hmm. And within two takes of just just everyone settling and feeling it, and then it can suddenly be great. Mm-hmm. That's actually the most terrifying thing about what we do because it is so close always to being dreadful and so mm-hmm. close always to being good. So what
2: and was a the- lot
1: of that is magic. Like you can't quite put your finger on. And I've had it so many times where you're doing the scene and you cut and they're like, the director's like takes a breath and you almost go, oh, my God, they just were shocked at how dreadful that was. But then don't give up. You know, you just go, okay, what do we need to do here? Let's go again. What, what do you want me to do?
0: Mm.
1: H- how? Okay, talk to me. But how, how often is Nicole? <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> this is so weird talking like this. I feel like I'm in, the, in an acting class. <laughs> okay, so let's do a scene now. <laughs> You got the dialogue. Um,
0: I did Fiddler on the Roof. I could do Fiddler if you know any Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, <laughs> um, but how often is Nicole Kidman dreadful?
1: So much of it, it it's not my job to decide that. It's is is my thing. You know, mm-hmm. me getting in there and deciding what's good and bad. I I can be the worst judge of what I thought. I'm if I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking too much get rid of that
2: right
1: the thinking is probably the greatest enemy not that you don't go in and prepare and then work on something together but a lot of I don't want to see the thought behind Mm it you know but that's just my taste that's just who I am everyone's something different and that's just my actual taste in performance
0: On an Instagram post, in a video, you you talked about Susanna being a filmmaker with a capital F. Talk to me more about that. What does that mean?
1: Oh, that was for female f- filmmakers, which obviously I'm really trying to change the that help change the landscape on that right now. Where we go, there is equality in the field of um, of gender, um, and so. Um, with her, it, she has her finger in every part of it, you know, it's basically an auteur where she's able to um, see everything, be involved in everything, extraordinary uh, ability to believe in her own judgement and what she wants and how she wants it, and that is a filmmaker, unabashedly. She will just, and, and she's willing to live and die on that vision and it's just, it's great you know, and it's a wonderful place to be as an actor is is following the person that has that belief. That is a filmmaker, a capital F filmmaker.
0: <laughs> what does it feel like when you, obviously she's accomplished before the undoing, but when you get on a set or you're in that first conversation with someone and, like that. And her, I want
1: to say also accomplished. I mean, she's come from, she came from a time when there wasn't, a massive opportunity for um, women working in the industry. So she had to forge her own path. There's There's a number of directors, it's why we don't have a lot of them because female filmmakers from that generation, because they didn't have the opportunity. We're slowly trying to, tip that now so that the younger ones are getting that chance to get in there and really exercise those muscles and really work with people over and over and over again. Mm. I mean, what it takes for a woman like Susanna to have created the path that she has, that she didn't have many role models for that. Mm. She had to do it alone a lot of the time. And that's why I'm just, you know, this is a wonderful thing to see her at this stage between Night Manager and what she did with Bird Box and what she's done with all her films that she did in Europe and what she's done now with The Undoing and where she's at and she's about to do The First Lady with Viola and Michelle. And, I mean, I'm just like, go, go, because she's the role model for so many other um, women following her.
0: I'm going to take a short break right now, but when we return, Kidman talks about her upcoming role as Lucio Ball opposite Javier Bardem as Desi Arnaz in Aaron Sorkin's Being the Ricardos. We'll be right back.
2: If you're like me and spend hours on Instagram scrolling past all the over-filtered, perfect highlight reels of other women and just wish you had someone to commiserate with about your nightly shame spirals, I have great news for you. I'm Jade Iovine and I'm the host of Tell Me About It, the weekly podcast that's here to remind you that the women we constantly compare ourselves to, yes, even that one, also have lives that are far from perfect. Whether it's admitting all the times you've texted your ex, navigating the world of fertility treatments, or feeling like the only one in the room with depression, nothing quite compares to the relief you feel when another woman admits they've stood exactly where you are and lived to tell the tale. So cancel that Zoom happy hour. You know you didn't want to go anyway. And come hang with me as I talk to women I respect about all the insecurities, mistakes, and the heartbreaks that they don't normally post about on Instagram. Join me for Heart to Hearts with tech CMO Bozema St. John, environmentalist and influencer Steph Shepp, actress Jamie Lynn Siegler, and many more. Listen to Tell Me About It with Jade Eileen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's more of Nicole Kidman. When you were starting out, obviously you worked with Jen Campion, um, but when you were when you were so starting... Who I just had
1: dinner with last night.
0: When are you working together again?
1: <laughs> no, no, we were, we're just hanging. <laughs> we're just talking and just our friendship is first and foremost right now, but she's editing her film right now. So she's here in Sydney editing and it's beautiful to see her. But I just love her and so yeah
0: when you were starting out there weren't that many female filmmakers was it obvious to you or it was just like this is this was hollywood there weren't female filmmakers
1: no when i was starting out though i'm in australia and there wasn't many films being made i mean we have a a baby industry that needs constant um care and nourishment Mm -hmm. and support this australian film industry it's a great industry but we need to be always you know trying to um grow it Mm -hmm. so on top of that I was 14 and I met her I was in a little Saturday morning drama school that my parents had found for me because there wasn't many there at that time and it was not something and she was in film school and she came and sat in the back of the theater and we were just like oh my gosh there's a director in the back we were doing you know little classes, and she was obviously just observing and looking for some some people that would be in her student film.
2: Mm.
1: It's a great way to have forged a friendship and right. started, right? <laughs> but, yeah, it wasn't like, I mean, there just wasn't many directors, let alone female directors. So I was just like there was no gender attached to it. I was just a kid going, oh, there's a director in the right. back, you know? Right. Then her films started, her short films, um, you know, the the stories about her work, um, started to spread and um, she had some big success with her short films, which is why those film festivals are so important mm-hmm. because that was how everyone started to hear about her. And then she made Sweetie and she made, um, you know, some of these great films um, that she made early on in her career that went to film festivals, got discovered mm. and, um she was able to get financing to make some of her, some of her early work and she was off and running. When, and talk when, about trailblazing for people. She really gave people a path to follow and so many people say to me, wow, you know, Jane Camp- I mean, she's just completely adored and heralded now.
0: When did, when did you find your voice as a woman in the business who was able to say, I'm going to stand up for myself?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's about. I mean, I. I don't know if my personality is that very um, stand up. I'm more. I just have a strong sense of what I what I like and what I don't like, mm-hmm. and what I want yeah. and what I don't want. That would be how I find find my voice, um, and I. fluctuate with that, and I change my mind, and I, um, but I'm been very lucky to have people that believe in me and that have supported me and given me chances when other people were you know I've had an amazing um group of mentors and people that just went no you need to keep going or no and and pushed me a little bit you know at times and but I'm still finding it Mm. I'm still finding my voice I'm still kind of I don't, I don't ever, I don't even, I don't feel, I'm hoping I haven't done my best work. I'm hoping I haven't, I hope I get to experience more extraordinary creative um, alliances and times with people. And I just really enjoy what I do and I believe in it. And I'm willing to um, definitely stand up um, and voice my opinion on things. Um, but I'm also willing to do it. If mm. I'm willing to go and work on something that's got a really, really low budget and doesn't have the money to pay you and and just get in there and do it. You know, that's why I do things like Destroyer and I'm, I'm always trying to just keep forging ahead in that. I mean, when I went to Belfast, I was pretty scared. It was, you know, the, the people were saying, oh, my God, if you go, you're going to get COVID and, and so I was really frightened, but at the same time I had this sense of duty and I had this sense of, um, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. I'm a creative being who shows up and I put in as much protection as I could. And so did the production and we were all safe. And I went, okay, let's go. And what a gift, what an opportunity to be able to still do what I love doing and support the crews and the people and the directors and the actors who are all out there doing it too. And I think once it gets all complicated and all overthought, then it almost becomes a bit off-putting to me. I much prefer the purity of it and just kind of still approaching it in that film schooly way, where it's just like, come on, let's get in there. And, And, you know, there's a sense of don't let people down, which I'm... You know that's a huge part of my personality. I'm like, Ugh. but creatively, I have enormous joy doing working with people mm. who are like-minded, and so, storytelling, yeah. and finding out what it means, and finding things, and going into places that I've never been before, and finding places where that I things I can't do, and then going, how do you learn about that? Mm. Um, how do I? Um, make that how do I um, massage that into something different or how do I actually grow now
0: so Lucille Ball how did that come about
1: um because Aaron Sorkin I love Aaron Sorkin I'd seen Chicago 7 and I've seen all his work and I've seen I saw a few good men on Broadway Years ago, I worked with Aaron on Malice and um, have always wanted to work with him but have watched from afar as he's just become such an extraordinary force in this industry. So I was like, yeah, I would love to uh, um, give it a go (laughs) with with his words and his direction and Javier (laughs) by damn, That's kind of a, a wonderful prospect to you know but yikes <laughs> off we go that? give it a go try my that? best see if I can do it
0: did you ever think I of
1: love it? her I love Lucille having looked now and delved into her um god oh, amazing woman amazing woman I'm very excited for people to see what what Aaron's found out about her and the way he's interpreted Desi and and Lucy and the way I, that it's so rich so and I didn't know any of this really in this script and it's just I was like wow I love her so that's a good start
0: mm. <laughs> Do you have a favorite episode of I Love Lucy?
1: Oh a, a lot of them <laughs> 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 it's been wonderful just kicking back and watching the episodes with my kids and with uh, Keith, you know. But I'm always reluctant to talk about a project when it hasn't been done because, you know.
0: You still have to do the magic like you talk about.
1: Yeah, and it just it hasn't happened yet. So I, there's also, I heard a wonderful thing one time where someone said, don't talk about things before they've been done because then it, you get the kick of having done them. You get the hit, you know, of like, oh, I did it and you haven't actually done it. So it was kind of a great thing. So you just don't really talk about the things you haven't done in regards to anything in life. Right, that's a good point. Kind of just get in there and do it, right? (laughs) How many times you go, yeah, and I'm going to do this, and then you feel like you've done it. (laughs) And you haven't. (laughs) And you've moved on. But um, sometimes that will have to suffice, right?
0: Yes. Nicole, as always. It's so good seeing you. Good I, chat. I mean, this is, I mean, it's our regular thing. I mean, we have to do it at least in another month. We have to have another one, now.
1: I don't think there'll be one in another month. <laughs> I'm down here chilling out for a while.
0: Yeah, are you? You're just going to chill.
1: Yes. yes, I've been, you know, just last last year was um, a lot of stress and work and um, much needed family time and with my mom and taking care of her and taking care of my kids and, and um, just having some time with my husband and doing those things.
0: I love your love for your mom on Instagram. It's so great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She's a good mama and she's uh, makes me cry. It's great to be able to be here. We were not here for so long. And so to be able to be here and be around her and, um, just, you know, the things that other people probably, you know, we don't live close to our family, so now spending time and being able to just drive over on a Sunday afternoon and sit, and we sat, we sat and watched Call of the Wild with the kids yesterday, and I was like, oh. and then she said some chips, some drinks, and a movie. It's perfect. My kind of afternoon.
0: That was Nicole Kidman, That's it for this episode of The Big Ticket. In fact, it's the end of The Big Ticket. But we're not going anywhere. The Big Ticket returns next week as the Just for Variety podcast. I'll continue bringing you celebrity interviews, plus more from my column, Just for Variety, and from the pages of the magazine. For now, thanks for listening. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. Until next time, stay safe and be well, and please keep wearing your masks. See you soon.